Hi, I'm Austin. I'm Alex. And you're listening to One Last Breath, an autopsy of awful albums. Where we talk about the most controversial, uh, divisive, bizarre, and downright abysmal albums. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the polarizing fourth studio album by Linkin Park, A Thousand Sons. And Linkin Park is normally a new metal band. Yeah. This is not a new metal album. Yeah, and also, <laughs> A Thousand Sons could also be a Nick Cannon album. Uh, <laughs> he kind of he has a lot of sons. <laughs> he does, yeah. I think, well, no, I'm, thinking of George, I'm thinking of George Foreman where all his kids have the same <laughs> age. Because no, no, George Foreman has George, Georgia, George Four. George Four. He has like three sons named George. What the fuck? Yeah, Nick Cannon just has a lot of kids. Um, so Thousand Sons has been described as electronic rock, art rock, industrial rock, experimental rock, and prog rock, uh, which are nothing, none of that's new metal. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they kind of created their own genre with this album in a lot of aspects. Yeah. They kind of did, but I have something I, I have something yeah, I want to talk about a little to. bit later that I want to compare it to. It was okay. released the same year. Oh, okay. actually, huh. um, I mean, I feel like this is a very like it feels two thousand ten. It feels very two thousand ten. Yeah, because <laughs> there are two albums that are basically the same. Same. Okay. We'll, we'll get to it. Well, I know it. You'll know it. Okay. You'll huh. know it. You'll recognize it and be like, how did I not think of that? Okay. Um, it was, I think it's also their first concept album. I think yeah. they did a couple more after this. I don't, this is the last I, album I've listened to. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I've listened to all their albums. I think maybe, maybe the hunting party had some concepts. Someone knows. Nothing like, nothing like this. Um, but Mike Shinoda called it a multi-concept record. Uh, covers themes of nuclear post-apocalypse. A nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> I can't say that word. Po- post-apocalypticism? Yep, can't say that. Uh, <laughs> building up the government and authority, finding hope amongst chaos and sadness, which are all kind of things that would happen in a, a, like a nuclear apocalypse. Mm-hmm. It contains a lot of speeches. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Mario Savio, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the title comes from uh, the Bhagavad Gita, which is a Hindu script. And also a book that the Beatles were really into. Yeah, probably, um, probably George I, Harrison, mostly. Yeah, <laughs> I actually, I own a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. Okay. Because uh, at Warp Tour. And, <laughs> what? Uh, okay, Wait, so what? There oh, are, so there are traveling, <laughs> Warp Tour. there are traveling Bhagavad Gita monks. And they just travel around and they'll give you the Bhagavad Wait, Gita and was, ask for a donation. Was that the Warp that we went to together? Uh, or was we that... probably saw one there. I got mine when I was at MTSU. I, okay. Uh, and one of them came up and just started talking to us. He was like, hey man, what? I got this book. Yes, I, I do remember when you got that. I remember you telling me that. Yeah, yeah. and this, I've, I've, I've read a little bit of it. It's it's a religious text. Yeah, I've always wanted but, to read different religious texts. Like, seems yeah, really interesting. But, but um, I mean, you know, I got the, the title the came. <laughs> the title came from the uh, the excerpt. If the radiance of a thousand suns were to burst once into the sky, that would be like the splendor of the mighty one, uh, which was made famous mostly by Oppenheimer in mm-hmm. reference to the atomic bomb. Uh, also, it it does have his most fa- Oppenheimer's most favorite famous quote of the. Uh, Talking about the scripture of becoming death, destroyer of worlds. Mm-hmm. Which that's uh, that's one of the that's the speech later that is the on. speech in, in, in uh, I think it's track one. Starts track, off track with, two. Track two. The off, that's right, because track one is yeah. Okay, well yeah, we'll get track. to it. Um, so formed in ninety six as zero with an X. Yeah. Uh, it originally consisted. Uh, Lincoln Park originally consisted of vocalist Mark Wakefield, 
uh, rapper and vocalist Mike Shinoda, lead guitarist Brad Delson, bassist Dave Phoenix Farrell, mm-hmm. uh, drummer Rob Borden, and turntablist John Hahn. Joe Hahn. Joe Hahn. Um, yeah. The band released a self-titled demo next year in 97. Uh, they pitched their demo to Jeff Blue, the vice president of A&R at Zomba Music, uh, which is a group under Sony. Uh, he was impressed by the band after seeing a live performance believe that Wakefield was too weak of a vocalist to continue with. I mean, I, I don't doubt him. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard it. I've I, never heard it, but... Um, I need to go back and listen to the Zero yeah, fucking uh, there's demo. There's a lot of frustration, because uh, they failed to gain the backing, and Wakefield eventually just left the band on his own accord instead of being kicked out, which probably saved everyone a lot of headache. Yeah. Um, and probably so they probably still have some sort of, like, at least kind of relationship... I would assume. I, I would yeah, assume they probably still catch up from time to time. Yeah, actually, I can't remember what it was. Like, I, f- I feel like I saw that he reviewed this out. I, I can't remember. It was something when I was reading about this album or Linkin Park as a whole. It mentioned something about him and Mike doing something. I don't know. Yeah. I, I couldn't really... So, I mean, I think they still have some sort of relationship. <laughs> um, so then the band went on to search for a vocalist because uh, Jeff Jeff Blue thought they had it. Um, and Jeff Blue actually recommended a member of a uh, post-grunge band, Grey Days, uh, in early 99, uh, by the name of Chester Biddington. There's an interview with Mike Shinoda talking about the first time he heard a recording of Chester Biddington. And he says, and, uh, he, he says that he remembers thinking... Man's got this. Man's mm. got it. Yeah. I mean, he definitely and, has and he it. he does. I mean, <laughs> Chester Bennington was one of the most talented vocalists in all, definitely in all of new metal, possibly in all of metal. I mean, all of fucking music. As all of music. He's, really, yeah, he's, he's up there. Um, so they changed their name from Zero to Hybrid Theory in the same year and released a self-titled EP. Yeah, I saw that the, I think it said something about Hybrid Theory kind of came from the spark that they had like with Chester and yeah. together like I guess they felt like yeah because from what was, I heard it was it was an immediate yeah like this is this is the band yeah so it was like I guess that was where hybrid theory came from like you know Mike and Chester were a hybrid. yeah um the, but unfortunately after releasing that EP they were still struggling to get a record deal uh so they once again talked to Jeff Blue who at this point was the vice president of Warner Bros Records and he helped them sign the deal as a developing artist uh, the label advised them to change their name to avoid confusion with the British electronic duo Hybrid. Which, I guess. I think it's funny, too, because Blink had to change their name due to... It was Irish, right? That one? Um, let's see. It, it just says British. British? Okay. Well, there was a there was, a there was an Irish Blink. band called Blink. Yeah, so... And they are like, okay, fuck it, numbers. It's fucking British people making, um, making people change their name names. <laughs> Go eat your beans and toast. But, uh, so the band... Settled on Lincoln Park, which was an homage to a park in Santa Monica, California. Uh, the label's A&R was skeptical of the band's mesh of hip-hop and metal, suggesting that Bennington fire Shinoda and focus on making an exclusively rock record, which is really weird coming from... Like, this was in an era where we were still listening to new metal. Like, we yeah, still, I mean, Lim- Lim- yeah, Biscuit. I mean, Lim- Biscuit was... I know their first album wasn't as popular as, I think it's significant other, the one that has Nookie and uh, Break Stuff. Yeah. But I think that came out in 99, so it was maybe, like, maybe it had just came out or it was before it yeah. came out. But, I mean, definitely, like, fucking Korn was yeah, one Korn of the biggest was huge. Bands. Yeah, so. Um, 
Which Corn had less hip hop. Yeah, I mean Lincoln Park's but, definitely a different style of new metal than Corn is, but still, it's like you yeah, know, you, you think they would be kind of privy to like oh, like this is something that yeah, this is something kids will really fuck with. But like, uh, unwilling to compromise on the band's sound, yeah. uh, they went on with their vision and released their debut album Hybrid Theory in October two thousand. Can you imagine like just a straight up rock record with just Chester? That I, I mean, mean, I'm sure it would be. Good, I'm sure it'd be good, but, but it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have been a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. In the, yeah. I don't think we would be sitting just, here talking about Lincoln Park yeah, if they had done that. It probably just would have been faded into obscurity. I mean, because he was in Grey Days, and obviously they didn't have any traction. Like they yeah. Were, <laughs> they were like a post-grunge band, so... And post-grunge was also one of the yeah. biggest genres at the time. Yeah, so it's like, you know, I don't I don't know how the label didn't see the spark that they had immediately yeah. and was skeptical. I can imagine being skeptical about this. Hybrid Theory was an immediate success, spawning four hit singles. The most successful was In the End, mm-hmm. uh, which peaked at number two on the Billboard Top 100 and went on to be certified four times platinum. Yeah, it's also, as it said, the first new metal song to reach a billion streams on Spotify. Wow. Which I, I don't know how many songs have reached a billion streams, I would say. Not too many. Not a so. lot. <laughs> um, the album itself peaked at number two on the Billboard and is certified 12 times platinum. Mm-hmm. Reaching the top 10 in 15 different countries and selling 32 million copies worldwide, making it the best selling debut album since Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like it would be good to, you know, if you're listening, you may be wondering, like, why are they just now mentioning numbers and, like, chart positions? But, I mean, for Lulu, I, you know, it's kind of hard to go over Lulu and Metallica. Like, I'm not going to go through every single album that both have released. And then, yeah. Falling in Reverse, that was only their second album. Then Attila, that was their only album. So, you know, I felt, I felt like it was relevant to mention the numbers yeah. for Lincoln Park just to... And the give, numbers are big. Yeah, just to give the whole scope of, like, how... I mean, you know, obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably remember when they were the biggest thing, but it's just crazy, like, just how, how yeah. big a they metal were, band could be. They were the biggest, like, one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah, I mean, they're... I mean, I, I would say that they're probably definitely, like, top 10 most successful rock slash metal bands ever. In terms and definitely of, the most successful new metal band. I mean, probably most successful metal band. I mean, they probably, I feel like they probably sold more than Metallica. I, I, mean, I would say, say so. I mean, Metallica's probably their only competition in that regard, I would say. And yeah. I think Lincoln Park's probably sold more records and definitely had more hit singles. So. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so ultra fucking successful. Meteora, their second album was released in 2003, and it uh, continued with the sound of Hybrid Theory. Uh, it debuted at number, uh, you don't have a number here. Uh, it debuted somewhere <laughs> on the Billboard 200. I think it was one. Uh, sure. Maybe. It debuted number one, number two, number three, somewhere. Uh, somewhere. The, it debuted at, yeah, some number between one and a hundred. <laughs> one and two hundred. Oops. <laughs> uh, well, it sold 810,000 copies of its first week, so I'm going to assume number one or two. Yeah, yeah. I there. can't think of anything else in 2003 that was close to being that big. Yeah, I don't Except know. Except like Little Wayne, maybe? Mm, I, I mean, probably not even. Eminem? But, but, I mean, he had a Eminem show was 2002. Yeah, so actually... Yeah. He, he, I can't... I mean, I can't really think of a, another 2003 album off the yeah. top of my head, so I'm sure it's up there. Uh, <laughs> it went on to sell around 16 million copies worldwide, becoming seven times platinum. 2007, the band released their third album, Minutes to Midnight, which was a slight departure from the first two. Uh, more keyboards, less distorted guitars, softer ballad guitar solos, which was really weird for Linkin Park. Yeah, yeah. 
Mike and Mike Shinoda started singing at this time uh, with only two songs, Bleed It Out and Hands Held High, featuring the rap verses that you've come to expect from Shinoda. Yeah, I would say Bleed It Out is the one song on the album that feels like Linkin Park. Yeah, I mean... 100%. Yeah, because, I mean, other songs like Give It Up shows the heavy... Really yeah, they heavy. still feel like Linkin Park. Yeah, it's not, but yeah. Bleed It Out is the Linkin Park that song. That has the formula. Yeah. 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 Um, which, it might be because this time, Mike Shinoda was really getting his rap out in Fort Minor. Yeah. When, uh, when did their album... Did they only have the one album... They only have the one album that I've listened to. I don't know if they did more after that. I don't know when it came out. I, I want to say probably like 06. 06. It, oh, was, oh. it was around the My, it was around MySpace. I know because um, the single on that was a, a MySpace song. Okay, let's see. Fort Minor. It came out in... Oh, 2005. 2005. Okay. So yeah. yeah, that's their only album. They had like... Apparently they had a single in 2015. Huh. That's interesting. I need to listen to that. So yeah, two thousand five. So yeah, so it it Be- makes between sense. Between this and Meteora, it makes sense that I he mean, didn't rap as much on uh, Minutes to Midnight. Yeah, between Meteora and Minutes to Midnight. Um, the progression of the band was mostly met with mixed to positive reception by critics and mixed reaction by fans. The album, while not, while not successful as Hybrid Theory Meteora, uh, still debuted at number one on the Billboard as well as in fifteen other countries, going on to be certified five times platinum, selling mm-hmm. over six million copies worldwide. In retrospect, the new elements from Minutes to Midnight should have prepared us for what we would get with 2010's A Thousand Sons. Um, however, going around old message boards at the time, the fan reactions seemed to be split into one of three camps. Fans that enjoyed Minutes to Midnight were disappointed the album didn't carry over the sound from that album. People who weren't fans of Minutes to Midnight enjoyed the new style of A Thousand Sons, or people who were very disappointed in both albums and hadn't enjoyed the bands since Meteora. Mm-hmm. Which... At the time when uh, A Thousand Suns came out, I would say I was in the camp of enjoyed Minutes to Midnight and was kind of disappointed. I mean, you know, not as like they had to make Minutes to Midnight Part 2, but it's like, you know, it was different than those and Hybrid Theory and Meteora. Yeah. So I I would say I was in a Minutes to Midnight fan being disappointed that it didn't carry over sounds. I remember this was was the first time I can remember... Hearing an album by a band that I enjoyed mm-hmm. and not being a hundred percent there for it. Yeah, because even a thousand suns, like, like I had, like I had said, uh, there was people that um, liked that didn't like a thousand suns or Minutes didn't Midnight. like Minutes to Midnight, but liked a thousand suns. But I don't remember. I mean, maybe it was because I was a little younger than I was when A Thousand Suns came out, but I don't remember much, like, fan discourse over Minutes to Midnight. Minutes to Midnight, 07, so you were 8, I was 10. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe that's why, but I still feel like, I mean, I don't know, when it came out, the both of us were really into it, and I feel like everything I saw online, people were into it, so... Yeah. I don't know. Um... But I guess there was, it had its fair amount of detractors, I guess, yeah. that were disappointed in it. Which will always happen when a band changes sound mm-hmm. for any reason. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but commenting on the divisive nature of the album, Chester said, uh, A Thousand Suns is definitely something that we knew people would need to digest and get over the fact that it's not what they thought it we would do. Mm-hmm. Which is true. I mean, um, critical reaction is much more favorable. Many reviews mentioning the appreciation of the continuation of the evolution that sparked Five Minutes of Midnight, uh, with one review comparing the political and social themes of the album to Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet. 
as well as multiple reviews comparing the style of the album to Pink Floyd's A Dark Side of the Moon and Radiohead's albums Kid A and OK Computer, in the sense that the album's not just a collection of the song, it's intended to be digested in its entirety, mm-hmm. which now is something that we take for granted. Yeah. It feels like every album is really something, these days, is something that you listen to as a whole. People like Bands are making albums to listen to as an album. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was really the, um, before your road to success was the internet, your road to success was releasing successful singles and then an album with those successful singles and some other songs. Yeah, I mean, I I think it depends a lot on genres. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, you know, rock and metal-wise, obviously those were meant to be listened to as yeah as an entire album. But it was something as popular as Linkin yeah. Park. It was a new concept. It was not a new concept, yeah. but it was a... It wasn't as expected from the band. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, with other stuff that was mega popular at the time, like... Lil Wayne, like, like you know, like, the rap that was popular at the time, or, like... The, the post-grunge. Or the pop, yeah, it's, like, it was... Main focus was on the radio singles. Yeah, and, and then the, like, the rest of the album was just more songs the band had written and recorded. Yeah, it's, like, I mean, not, not always filler, but, you know, it's, like, you could easily just pick out the singles and throw the rest away in a lot yeah, of... Yeah, and, and like, cases. they could have written any songs to fill in the spaces. Yeah. Um... Speaking of the album's changes, Alex Young of Consequence mentioned, Some might argue this new sound is posturing, complete mutation up to the point of absurdity. In the band's associated artwork and videos, evolution has been touted from day one. In essence, Linkin Park has been chasing this all along, and now it has become tangible, complete. In a four to five star review on Billboard, uh, they said, The set is solemn, at times more of an industrial tone poem that puts Brad Delson's guitar decidedly on the back burner, and barely even in the oven, in favor of keyboards, samples, and rhythm loops that frame these nine songs and six interludes. Later adding, the structures give vocalist Chester Bennington and Mike Shinoda plenty of emotive space and both deliver. Bennington, in fact, boasts the performance of a lifetime on album closer The Messenger. Uh, the album did have detractors, however, with Johnny Firecloud. <laughs> what a dweeb. Yeah, looking at these fucking reviews for a lot of, for the albums we've done so far, you'll find, like, it's like websites I've never heard of by, and then reviews by people with just really very dated mid two thousand screen names, yeah. and it's like, is this an official review? I'm like, I don't know if Who like knows? this could be considered an actual critic or if it's just a, just some guy an internet blogger. Yeah. But uh, Johnny Firecloud of Antiquiet giving a scathing 2.5 out of 5 review, stating, The album is a slick, full-bodied leap in the direction of self-parodying melodrama and fashionable faux revolution rather than actual redemption through self-evolution. A grandly orchestrated mechanized mess of sentimentality and raging as a machine, the 15-track collection is entirely unconvincing as a call to action for uprising and activism. Activism. Activision. <laughs> uh, Close enough. Later chiming, Lincoln Park strikes me far less as musicians than Pro Tools savvy art school kids who found a money-making formula after being let loose in the studio with a hell of a lot of expensive equipment. Yeah, no, Which is not fair to Lincoln Park, who released... Two of the biggest albums in the world. Yeah, he's acting like they came straight out the gate with this and were fucking, like, art, art kids? What? I don't... It's like, have you 
heard about Chester Bennington's life. Like, he was not a fucking art kid. He had a rough-ass life. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh, polarizing reception aside, the album still debuted at number one on over ten charts and was eventually certified platinum just one time. Yeah. Just time. I mean, still better, better than a lot of bands can say. Better than I've ever done. <laughs> Uh, the band released three more studio albums, Living Things in 2012, The Hunting, Parter in 20, Hunting Party in 2014, <laughs> and One More Light in 2017, all to varying degrees of critical success and fanfare. Um, and here we get to the sad part. Tragically, July 20th, 2017, uh, Chester Bennington did commit suicide, bringing it into Lincoln Park. Mm -hmm. uh, Chester's legacy is felt worldwide as he, along with the rest of the band, gave the world an important an influential body of music, not only on the musical side, but the emotional side. As the topics Chester and Mike's lyrics touched on help helped countless listeners feel like they weren't alone and could find a place of solace in Linkin Park's honest and vulnerable music. Yeah. And that shit's still like... It was the first celebrity death that hit me really hard. Yeah, like, other ones first... before that had been like, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is sad, but this is the one where I felt... I, I felt crushed and heartbroken for a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, like we had said, like, just the state of their, like, the way their music was, like, just touching you, you know, making you feel like you had an outlet with their music was a big part of it. It's like you felt close to the band, and especially Chester, since he was the main voice of the band, like, it was fucking rough. Yeah, that was, like, the first celebrity death that I ever cried over like yeah like i remember seeing that and i was just like crushed i was like what the fuck yeah um and i mean their lyrics were really important they touched yeah. upon a lot of stuff that other bands hadn't really touched on yet. yeah they, they would eventually go on to be stuff that metal bands would touch on a lot with the rise of metalcore and scene music yeah, there would be mean, a lot of talk of you know, depression some... suicide uh, self-harm yeah maybe some like emo music and stuff yeah like, but not a band as as mega popular as yeah i don't even think emo music had really started to hit on that till about uh probably about taking back sunday era i mean yeah to that to that degree like you know i feel like a lot of earlier emo music it's like depressing but i feel like it's it's more angry really. yeah and it's and it's more so in like a metaphorical way i yeah. guess like not straight up like saying like these are problems you're having and yeah, stuff you've gone through Lincoln Park was very to the point just open yeah yeah and it was uh, it was very important for music and for a lot of people yeah. growing up yeah like if you were a kid or a teenager in the early two, early mid 2000s like Lincoln Park chances are yeah was really important to you yeah i mean doesn't matter if you were a prep kid or if you were the most depressed kid at the school like Lincoln Park had something that hit you in the heart yeah yeah for sure so um, yeah <laughs> very very so, tragic day so let's talk about the uh the album so the whole album feels it just feels like experimental hip-hop to me okay um less so than like it doesn't feel as rock as you would expect from lincoln park um there are some points where you can you can see the new metal roots mm -hmm. yeah i'd say uh a lot of the beats are and like the guitar is i mean kind of new metal but it kind of makes me think of more industrial i mean i guess that's what critics had said like yeah. it has an industrial feeling to yeah it. like i feel like the songs are either industrial feeling or they're slower kind of coldplay-esque but like not in a bad way yeah but like like burning in the skies and uh 
uh, iridescent songs like that are kind of that like soft pop rock yeah but those softer ones feel more like Linkin Park and some of the faster more upbeat songs on the album to me yeah uh, just because of um, Minutes to Midnight yeah having yeah, more of that's that true. sound yeah with like Leave Out All the Rest yeah. and um, Shadow of the Day mm-hmm. yeah stuff like that so, um, so I, I teased before that while this album is very much different from what we were having at the time, there is one other album that not only sounds similar, has a, the band did a, another change, like a, a change that was just as drastic. Mm-hmm. And they're also talking about the same subject matter. Okay. And that is My Chemical Romance's Danger Days, The oh. Fabulous Life of Killjoys. What the fuck? I did same not even, year. Yeah. I did not even think of that. Yeah, um, it's really and obviously, but neither of them knew that the other one was working on this album yeah. or had heard the other album. They just both released, not the same album. They're very yeah. different. Yeah, I'd say in MCR's case, it's it seems more like theatric. Like it's it, more it theatrical. Feels, it feels like a movie. And whether this one well, feels real, uh, I mean, Danger Day is based on a comic that Gerard Way. Yeah, yeah. And, so uh, it, it feels more like it could be a movie or yeah. a video game or Danger something. Danger Days is more like look how cool it is to be rebels in the apocalypse. Yeah. And this is more like, this is the actual crushing weight of an apocalypse. Yeah, yeah we're fuck boys. Like, <laughs> I, I just, But I just think it's really weird they both released the same year talking about yeah. very similar concepts. I, I'm, yeah, I don't know how I didn't think of that. And it's like, I mean, for My Chemical Romance, like the Black Parade was a concept album. But yeah, but the Black Parade was both... emo, and then they went to like a tech tech rock. Yeah, like... Of. Yeah, like poppy electronic bass. Yeah, yeah, upbeat kind of. Like yeah, okay. That's I. I don't know why I didn't think of that. That's kind of weird to me that they came. I mean, I know they came out in the same year, but for some reason, uh, Danger Days feels like it came out more so twenty twelve or twenty. Yeah, it feels newer. It feels I, yeah, newer. Than this. I don't know. Um, and I think it's just because. I don't know. I, I remember Danger Days also having a Danger Days had one hit single. Oh, that um, I remember of uh, Na Na Na. Well, it had Sing. Sing, yeah, I don't think that one got a music video, though. Maybe it did. Eh, maybe, I, I don't, don't know. know. We're not talking about that album today. Yeah. Um, do you have any, like, first impressions? I mean... First thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the ambition is yeah. definitely there. Like, how Mike had said, it needs to be... Like, it's multi-concept, and it needs to be digested as one whole thing. I mean, you can listen to the songs on their own, and listening to it at first I'd say the only song that really worked for me by itself was Waiting for the End like that's I feel like that was the one song that I really really I mean when they come for me to an extent but Waiting for the End was I feel like the song that I would always come back to from this album Mm -hmm. listening to it more those other ones where I would definitely come back to it and they they work for me by themselves but yeah I'd say if you've never heard this you definitely need to listen to it all in one setting yeah because, I mean, it does feel like one big song. Like, there's no breaks or anything. It all segues yeah, with each other. Uh, through the use of very clever interstitials. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, the narrative is powerful. It feels pretty epic in scope mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so. it's uh, it still hits... Cl- like, it doesn't hit as close to home because it's about a post-apocalyptic yeah. wasteland. But there's still bits and pieces where you can, you can feel... You can almost, like, feel yourself and understand like, your situation 
is comparable to the situation they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we'll get to it later. Like, I feel there were some songs where I felt like the narrative wasn't strong, like they more so felt personal. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we'll get to it. But, I mean, I'd say that's what I mean, like taking them out of context of the album, they feel, they could feel more personal, but I guess when you have the whole album, they'll kind of fit more into the narrative. Yeah. But... Um, this yeah. is, I had to listen to this album more than I've had to listen to any, uh, any of the other albums we've yeah. covered. Uh, it took me, I think, five total listens to get all of my notes, and I still had to go back and listen to a couple songs. Yeah, I had to. Last night, I um, went and I brought up Genius, like, rap, mm-hmm. formerly Rap Genius, to look at the lyrics while I was listening yeah. to really get some good notes. Um Cause like I had got I had got notes on like the music itself, but a lot of the lyrics I really had to really think yeah. about. I didn't I didn't have time to do the genius thing, so I don't I didn't really get the story, but I uh-huh. I picked out I mean, bits and parts of it. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty straightforward story if, when you can when you've listened to it enough to parse the lyrics out. Yeah, and especially uh, with the interludes, I had to really yeah. look at those and to find their meaning. Yeah, and so. I had to look up to see who was speaking, what the speech was about. Yeah, because a lot of the interludes are them recording other people. Yeah, so the album opens up, if that's all you have to yeah. say, um, the album opens up with the two short tracks, The Requiem and The Radiance. Which you can really consider one, because the, yeah. the Requiem is just an instrumental with a vocal loader. Um, of the catalyst, lyrics later used on the catalyst, yeah. where it's God save us everyone as we burn inside the fire of a thousand, thousand suns. But it's like done in like a chiptune kind yeah, it's of... Yeah, like, it's like a Hatsune Miku. Yeah, yeah, like it's, it's like a, fe- a female like chiptune yeah. voice. Um, um, and The Radiance... Is mostly just uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer giving his famous uh, quote of uh, talking about the story of uh, Kishnu, mm-hmm. I believe was the god, talking to a prince and to impress him, saying, I am become death, a destroyer of worlds, and talking about how that's how him and everyone else involved in the Manhattan Project felt. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, opens up with that, then they segue into Burning in the Skies, which... I I feel like it's a really good opening track for the album. Yeah, um, it is. Um, it's the one when I think of this album before now when I thought of this album, it was this song. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't know why, huh. but this is just, I think this is the song I had heard the most for some reason. Hmm. That's interesting because, like I said, for me it was definitely waiting for the end or um, when they come for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the. Uh, the Catalyst, like, I, I remember, we'll get to it later, that was the very first single released, so I definitely remember that one, uh, maybe if not just by name, by the God Save Us Everyone as we burn into in the Fire of a Thousand, thousand Suns part. Yeah. But that's interesting, because I didn't really remember this one, like, a lot of these songs, like, I've listened to this album occasionally since you know, its initial release and like yeah. listening to it a lot when it came out. Cause like my brother, he, he was a bit, he's a big Lincoln Park he's fan. He's the reason we got into Lincoln yeah, Park. Yeah. Really. So he had, um, this album when it first came out. So I remember hearing it with him a lot whenever I would be in the car with him and stuff. But yeah, that's interesting. Cause yeah, I didn't, I didn't re- remember the song really until we re-listened to it just now. So yeah, uh, this is also one of the most Lincoln Park songs on the album, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it it I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's the one that I associate with this album. So I so, because you, you know every album from Lincoln Park, you have this one song. You're like, okay, this is this album. Yeah. Like yeah. numb for Meteora. Okay. Yeah. Huh. 
Huh. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Um, I really like the chorus. Uh, I feel like the lyrics kind of maybe from like the POV of Oppenheimer. Like yeah, his, maybe. his point of view for creating the atomic bomb or maybe like a general statement for yeah. like humans slowly destroying the earth because it's like, you know, where the chorus says, I'm swimming in the smoke of bridges I have burned, so don't apologize. I'm losing what I don't deserve. Yeah. I feel like that could be in the in Yeah, I think it's the point, point of, of view of someone who, cre- who helped facilitate yeah. this apocalypse that they're talking about. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I feel like it's a good opening track to set the mood of the album yeah. and the themes of the album. I think it's... Um, and then we get to the Requiem, which is... No, sorry. Empty spaces. We get to Empty Spaces. Yeah. My notes started <laughs> editing themselves. Um, so we get to Empty Spaces, which is just war sounds. Yeah. And it's, it's just gunfire. Well, it actually, there's... Uh, beneath it, I, I didn't notice it even... Because like, I listened to the album mostly at work with one earbud mm-hmm. in, listened to it a little bit in the car... And even with two earbuds in last night when I was going back and listening, um, and I pulled up the lyrics, uh, it actually has, it's apparently Brad Delson, the guitarist, speaking in Spanish, saying all the platoons pay attention right now. But, like, you can barely hear it. Huh. So Yeah, I didn't notice that at all. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's like a war call for uh, when they come for me, what it segues into. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that is really hard to catch. So, I mean, if it wasn't for researching it on genius yeah, um there's a lot of love and care put into hiding stuff in this album yeah it feels like like there's a lot more layers than you expect i think they really wanted this to be an album that you listen to multiple times yeah you have to really slowly parse through and digest yeah because i mean even uh when we get to our thoughts on the album as a whole i feel like it's also an album where you have to listen to it multiple times to really like the whole thing yeah because on my first listen the songs that i had remembered obviously i i remember for a reason i like them mm-hmm. and then there was a f- couple more where i was like okay yeah i like this one too a lot i, I kind of remember it now listening to it and then there was some that i was so so on but as i listened like a second and third yeah. time i was like this whole album yeah the this more, album as a whole is really the more good. i listen to it the more i like yeah it. you just really have to digest it uh it's I kind mean, of I like think that's the purpose yeah and the 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 closest analog i could find for that would be coheed and cambria their albums are their entire discography minus one album is a single story okay it's a single concept and so each album you have to listen to and digest and slowly parse where it is in the story until of course you buy the comics and get to read along with it, but mm, okay. Um, so I don't know if Lincoln Park was inspired by Coheed and Cambria at all, because like I, don't know. I mean they're, they're also they're like Coheed and Cambria is a very space opery thing, so I could see how listening to them could lead you to make an apocalyptic concept album. Either. Yeah, I, but I think that one review uh, that we had mentioned in the beginning uh, saying that through the band's artwork and everything, like, they've been chasing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they are a very conceptual band. I mean, yeah. with Breaking the Habits music video, it was, like, that whole anime uh, mm-hmm. music video for that. And, like, they've done... They have the Linkin Park fan club. Like, they've had a whole bunch of... I mean, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but I know they've released, like, a ton of albums just through the Linkin Park fan club. I don't know if it's all original stuff or it's, like, maybe remix stuff. Or just demos, I don't know. But yeah. there's like they've they've done a lot of stuff and had a lot of really big ideas and conceptions. Mm-hmm. I mean, even for this album, they played the Catalyst, Iridescent, I think, and Waiting for the End. They played them at 
historical sites in different countries. It was really interesting. I was reading about it. Like, they were for uh, some MTV awards. Huh. But, so yeah, from the beginning, they've they've kind of had, like, a vision and a big scope. And I would agree with everything they've done kind of led up to something like this being, yeah. being created. I felt like they always wanted to make something, an album that was bigger than the songs. Yeah. And this was their first chance to really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, when They Come For Me also, it reminds me of, uh, and these are bands that are post this album, but it reminds me of Death Grips or Clipping, really. It's like that, re- it feels really experimental mm-hmm. hip hop. Yeah, I love the guitar, like the burn, burn. Like with the drums, like yeah, it's it's very, it's a lot like it's a very industrial type beat, like very stripped back bare bones type beat. Uh, Feels like it could, it would, it would have been perfectly like fine in the four minor album. Even I think Mm. it could have been a four minor song. Mm. But yeah, I love uh, Mike's flow on the song or on the song, and it has really good lyrics too. Yeah, Really, really good bars about. I feel like it's kind of a statement for fans of the band or critics, uh, you know, saying that he's going to do his own thing Mm -hmm. and the band's going to do their own thing. Uh, Yeah, because even on one part, he says, I'm not the fortune in the game, not the same person telling you to forfeit the game. Or wait, wait, fortune and the fame, typo. Not the same person telling you to forfeit the game, which is a reference to points of authority. Or it's yeah. like, forfeit the game before somebody, you know? That yeah. Point. So, you know, kind of him saying, like, he's not that same person anymore. Mm-hmm. He's, he's changed. And then it it has a few other references, like, to uh, Big and uh, Lauren Hill in the second verse about, like, money and stuff. Yeah. So I feel like it's kind of a song that is saying, like, we're going to do our own thing, like we're not we're not just catering to people to be popular like you know we're bigger than that yeah they're so. making music that they want to make yeah exactly like he's, he's saying that on the song which is a powerful message mm-hmm. um robot boy <laughs> why you say it like that you don't like this one uh i think it's i think it's a good song i didn't get a lot of notes on it but there is a instrumental section uh near the end that uh, immediately evoked in me the chorus to My God is an Awesome God. <laughs> it sounded like a weird uh, industrial reharmonization of My God is an Awesome God. And it was in what part? Uh, it's, it's an I- instrumental part near the oh, end. Oh, an instrumental? Okay. Okay, yeah, I remember like when that. it's like a little key solo yeah. type thing at the end. Okay. And I remember just like, my god, it's an awesome one. <laughs> like, what? Take, I don't us, know. take us to church, Lincoln Park. Uh, but yeah, it has like, it kind of, the song kind of gives me like a 80s synth rock, yeah, arena rock type feel, like something like Soft Cell or. Um, Eurythmics. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not any type of informed on that genre. Like I'll yeah, like, I only really know the big hits from the that. '80s. Is a decade I tend to avoid. Yeah, but but that's what it kind of brought to me because it has like really heavy, heavily layered vocals. Yeah. Um, it's like all synths and piano, uh, with like low key beat in the back. So, and the lyrics. Uh, this is what I was getting to. I mean. It, kind of is the same of when they come for me um where i feel like 
they don't fit the narrative really that much about, you know, nuclear war mm-hmm. and the downfall of humanity. Like, I mean, maybe Robot Boy is, like, trying to find hope in it, but I feel like it's mostly just a song trying to get across the message of, you know, even if you are so desensitized to the world, emotionless, and, like, you have nothing left to give, it gives a message of hope with saying, hold on, the weight of the world will give you the strength to go. Like, it repeats that towards the end. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it kind of could fit into the narrative, but it's not really as heavy-handed as some of the other songs, like Burning in the Skies. Yeah, um, so. I think it's one of the songs that fits both in the narrative and in, like, just a song by itself. Yeah. Just with its own message. Yeah. Uh, Jornada del Muerto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't look, I didn't have time to look at the lyrics. Okay, it's well. Just, I just have that it's just another short interstitial. Yeah, the interlude, uh, it's named after the desert, which was the first test site of Trinity. Or the test side of Trinity, oh, okay. which was the first in nuclear Nevada. bomb. Yeah. yeah. Um, the track repeats uh, Mochigete Toki Hana Shite, which means lift me up, let me go in Japanese. Mm-hmm. So, and that is uh, another thing that's brought back in the Catalyst. Yeah, but they yeah. say it in English in the Catalyst. Yeah, it's right? like, yeah. lift me up, let me let go. Yeah. go. Yeah. So. Oh, another thing that we forgot to mention about the whole nuclear bomb thing. We are close to Oak Ridge where okay. <laughs> the nuclear bombs were created. Yeah, yeah. I so, mean, like... A little, this is a little close, like, literally close to home for us. I mean, yeah, if I can, yeah, I mean, so if there's ever a <laughs> nuclear fallout, oh. Oak Ridge and Knoxville are going to be the the first <laughs> first sites to go, probably. Yeah, so. I've, al- I've always known that in the case of nuclear war, Oak Ridge is the first target. Yeah, but I mean, at least we don't get many natural disasters here, so True. that's a plus. Tornadoes go right over the valley, <laughs> the east, the good old East Tennessee Valley, so... <laughs> Um, waiting for the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good song. I love this song. I really love this song. It, it might be my favorite on the album. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, it's really hard to pick a favorite on this album because like it feel it almost feels like one continuous song. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love I love the opening riff with and then like the keys coming in. Yeah. The part sung by Shinoda is really catchy. Yeah, like the, the beat. I yeah, really this like is it. Not the end. This, it reminds me <laughs> that the verses with him and uh, the ending. Whenever it's like I tried to find the right, but the right was wrong. It, it reminds me of the fucking Arthur theme song. <laughs> like it has the like the kind of yeah. right, upbeat reggae feel. The like every day when you're walking down the street. Yeah, yeah, has, yeah. No, you're right. It does. It does feel like Arthur. Um, yeah, but I love the song, and whenever the use like the beat cuts and it just goes to the piano when Chester comes in and that shit gives me chills every fucking time. It like, has the a line on the album that may be the most emotional mm-hmm. uh, which is Chester singing all I want to do is trade this life for something new. Yeah. Which, a, lot, a lot of the parts on the song are really especially like in the light of his passing are yeah, really yeah, looking close at retrospectively <laughs> after him passing it's like a lot of Linkin Park is like that. Yeah a lot. Where you're looking at this and being like oh my god, what did I not, like, what did we all just not see or just ignore? Especially uh, One More Light, like, there's a lot of songs on that album, and that was released, like, only a, a couple of months before mm-hmm. he passed. It's like, fuck, <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, I mean, it's like, obviously, you know, it's art, so yeah, you don't really, I mean, you think about it, you know, obviously that's coming from somewhere, but it's not, it's not like going to ring off alarm bells. Yeah, and especially around 2017 when there were a lot of bands singing about the same things and they all 
seemed to be doing fine. They were just singing about past experiences. It yeah. felt like yeah, because uh, experiences like, that they were a, they were working through with through the music. Yeah, because it's like for Chester. I mean, you know, big fans of the band know about his past. Like you know, he he was abused. He had you know really bad uh, addictions to drugs. Mm-hmm. But it's like you know I, he had been when I was reading about it. I think he had been sober for a really long while uh, until his passing and then you know he had a wife and kids so it's like you know from the outside you're like yeah, he, he seems to have I mean, that's that's how it that's how it gets yeah you. yeah i mean you know um, you never just, know what someone's going through yeah i mean he just obviously never overcame his trauma sadly mm-hmm. which <laughs> it's awful but yeah just listening to that part that's, this is that line really yeah just the part when he comes in it just gives me chills and like uh you remember the uh tribute benefit concert yeah. thing they had yeah i think that's probably my favorite performance of any of the songs it's the uh lead vocalist from echo smith she's the one that sings okay. the parts it's really good that shit gives me chills I, too. I haven't watched that since it happened yeah God, I need whenever to, I need that, to go back and watch whenever it that shit came out i watched that at least like five or six times like it was it was so yeah, it good was, it was, like, like we said his passing was a huge moment in our lives yeah yeah yeah, 2017 was a rough year for me, at least. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Waiting for the End is a really good song. Uh, Blackout is the most Linkin Park song on the album. Yeah, well, say. it yeah. is, but it isn't. Yeah. It's like it has it has the screaming that they're um, known for. Uh, it brings uh, back a little bit of the distorted guitar, I believe. Yeah, it's like... Um, is this the one that's like... Or is that a different song? No, that's uh, oh, that's, that's Wretches and Kings. That's Wretches and Kings. That one is okay. We'll talk about that one. <laughs> Blackout. It starts out with um, it's just like keys, like synths and keys, and um, Chester's kind of like rap singing talk. Like I wouldn't really call it rapping. It's more like sing talking. Yeah. And at first, the first time I listened to this album uh, again in pre- preparation for this, I was kind of iffy on that. It grew on me, but I really love when he starts screaming yeah. on it. Um, but, like, it's weird, because it's, like, a kind of a groovy, like, soaring kind of piano riff. Yeah. So it's, like, it has some screaming, but it's not how it has been done on yeah. Pass Lincoln Park. Um, and speaking of that, that talk singing part, um, mm-hmm. that's another connection to Mike M. Okay. Uh, it reminds me specifically of Professional Griefers by Dead Mouse featuring Gerard Way. I don't know. If uh, it has that. the... I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It has like so it has like, like another like sing talking part. Where it's like Yeah, like the cadence that. Yeah, and it just reminds. And me is Gerard doing that? Yeah, it's Dead Mouse featuring Gerard Way. Okay, huh? It's it's a really good song. I don't know if I've ever heard that. It came out in twenty twelve. Okay, huh? But yeah, this one. Uh, yeah, I, I really like whenever he's screaming, saying, uh, "You." Uh, can't keep it inside or got to keep it inside push it back down push it back down uh, and then the electronic breakdown is really good too where it's like kind of kind of does his vocals in like a dubstep way yeah yeah we're kind of like, like uh chops and screws them yeah it's like saying blood uh blood in your eyes it's like blah 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 blah, blah yeah blah. It's, it's really cool <laughs> yeah it, go, it goes pretty fucking hard um, and then Wretches and Kings, which is the one with the riff that I was just talking about. Yeah, it's a yeah. really good riff. It's it it also is very uh, old Lincoln Park, but I, more trap. Yeah, it kind of gives me like a 
I, I guess in the way like the beat of the song is kind of like cut up parts of a guitar riff, which yeah. is really cool. And I guess maybe like the tone of the guitar in that sense and especially the lyrics really give me like a Rage Against the Machine feel. Yeah, like, uh, but it's also very, like even has the stereotypical trap yaz. Yeah, it's like, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. And or it's like, like a, a, something a, a, like that. There's yeah. like the same sample that you hear in a lot of like trap songs. Yeah, that's it, it's um, doing that over when the guitar's going don't don't do do do. It's like yeah. has a trap beat behind it, and it's like yeah. A, um, a, but it also starts off with a um, a recording of Mario Savio. Yeah, giving his uh, bodies upon the gear speech. Yeah, I think it a, starts and ends with that. Yeah, which is a really powerful speech. Yeah, and it really, it's it's really powerful, especially in. The like the um the narrative of the album mm -hmm. too. Yeah, this this song really feels like it's like a rebellious anthem, like a yeah. call, call to action. Yeah, especially with the uh when Chester comes in, like saying "Wretches and Kings, we come for you." Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a really I would say powerful like get off your ass and <laughs> fight the power type song. Yeah. So yeah, really good one. Which I mean, the, the whole album really feels like trying to incite a revolution mm -hmm. in the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes into wisdom, justice, and love, which is a uh, part of an MLK MLK speech. Did you find which speech it is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, a time to break silence. It was okay. like a speech. Uh, he did it at a church in New York. Um, okay. Basically, he it was like a speech where he questions the Vietnam War, like the purpose of it. And yeah. Uh, you know, par paralleling that to like uh, racial tension at the time yeah. and stuff. So, and as the speech goes on in the album, the audio gets like distorted. It gets, gets kind of creepy. It's really it's it's like, also chilling. really powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As he starts saying wisdom, justice, and love, it kind of just at that point is down to a, like demonic ro robot sounding voice. It's just a little unsettling. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and it also. Powerful. Uh, goes into what I would say is the most emotional song on the album, Iridessa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say this one definitely, yeah, it, it is really emotional. I'd say along with probably, uh, I'd say The Messenger. The Messenger, yeah, also. Yeah. But, yeah, but this one really has, like I was saying, like that, like a Coldplay yeah. feel to me. Not 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 in a bad way, like but it's it, just it, like... minutes to midnight sounding stuff. Yeah, really. yeah, where um, it's... Uh, Especially when uh, the gang vocals come in on the <laughs> chorus, leading into like the drum part, it's I guess kind of can be considered a breakdown. But it's like a the whole gang vocals come in on the chorus, and it kind of has like a like that pop rock kind of yeah. feel to it. Like not cheerful because it is emotional, but yeah, but that the the standard pop rock like kind of upbeat emotional. Yeah, yeah, like Imagine Dragons type stuff. Yeah, but, like, but good. But yeah, but good. Um, and this song, from what I can tell, seems to be tackling, like, the emotional burden of trying to survive and find a purpose in the apocalypse. Mm hmm Which is pretty... It hits pretty hard today with the... Especially after the pandemic, with the struggle to survive and find purpose in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Like, I... I like, this, this whole album really feels... I feel like if I had listened to this pre-pandemic, it wouldn't have been as impactful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that, because, yeah, I mean, that left a lot of people yeah. not knowing what the fuck to do. And, I mean, the, the pandemic is not a nuclear apocalypse, yeah. but it is, like, it's the first really big thing in our lives. Yeah, that could be um, that could be any any sort of compared to this. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean... And hopefully yeah. the only thing in our lives that could be compared to this. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> luckily it didn't come to... 
fucking post apocalypticism, but <laughs> yeah, that word is, I can't say is pretty scary there for a minute. Yeah, then we get to Fallout, mm -hmm. which is the last lyrics from Burning in the Sky. Yeah, um, through a vocoder. Uh, from what I read, it's Mike Shinoda speaking it through a vocoder. Okay. Um, yeah, I feel like it kind of brings the album full circle. Yeah, in a way, and it, it also prepared for the very it also, end. Uh, it's just a single synth. So it meshes perfectly to the beginning of the catalyst. It could almost be they could have almost put that as one track. Yeah. But I'm glad they didn't, so that people, if they want to, can not add the interstitials to their because uh, when this came out, iPods were getting big. Mm -hmm. So there, I'm sure there's some people that like rip the album and just remove the interstitials. So it's really nice that they cut it like that. Yeah. But um, they didn't have to. But yeah, yeah, it kind of brings it full circle. Uh like preparing for the end i mean hence the name fallout like yeah. it feels like you're getting ready for the fallout mm -hmm. of it of it all so and then it segues perfectly to the catalyst mm -hmm. which is another one that repeats lyrics that we have heard earlier in the album because mm -hmm. it's um it's what the vocaloid in the requiem the first track of the album sings but now it's a person singing instead of the hatsune miku vocaloid yeah yeah this uh this was the lead single of the album like i, I don't know i do you think it should have been like i feel like it doesn't really I don't know. I I think it's not as good out of context. Yeah, yeah I think I, if anything should have been singles. I'd say, iridescent, wretches and king, blackout, waiting for the end. Yeah, yeah, waiting for the end. I I, I feel like it should have been waiting for the end. But yeah, any any of those. Any said, of those have been great because they all. Some of them are more Lincoln Parky to pull the old fans back in. Yeah, so I, I definitely see why it threw people off. Yeah. For this being um, the lead single, but. Yeah, also, they did this really cool thing uh, where they had a fan contest where they had, um, they gave people the stems to this song, and they, they had just to do let them do a remix, yeah. And uh, this was, was this before or after their remix album? Oh, this was way after. Way after. Yeah, Reanimation, Reanimation was even before Meteora. Was it? Yeah, it was only remixes of, uh, Hybrid Theory songs. Huh. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I bought for the for a hybrid theory's 20th anniversary i bought like a box set and it was hybrid theory reanimation and then like uh, demos and like live tracks yeah. album so yeah it's i think it had like some new songs but it all the songs are remixed were only um hybrid theory songs hmm. okay. but yeah it's it pretty cool uh, i listened to the remix wasn't really my thing it was kind of edm-ish but yeah like the, the one that won because the one yeah. that got first place they actually put on a, like, Best Buy bonus edition of the of the CD. That's another thing with Lincoln Park CDs I was looking. They all have a lot of, like, exclusive tracks for different retailers, which yeah. I guess was I mean, pretty common at that time. point. Yeah. Uh, like, but it takes people to get it from a specific place. But the last time I remember a a band having a retail location exclusive track was uh, Neck Deep's Life's Not Out to Get You. Oh, really? And, um two acoustic versions of songs on the album and a full band version of the final song on the album hmm. sort of the Target exclusive CD. So, of course, I fucking bought that yeah, one. Yeah, okay. But that's the last time I remember that, and that was 2015. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, having exclusive tracks for a deluxe edition is pretty common, but yeah, yeah. not not so not retailer or anymore. even, like, region exclusive. And it's because yeah, of that's, streaming. Yeah, that's a very 2000, 2010 thing to do. Yeah. But, uh... Let's bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fucking get your... Give me my Circuit City exclusive. Yeah, I was about to say, Radio Shack exclusive. You <laughs> hey, know, there's just... still a Radio Shack in Knoxville. There's there's still a few out there, yeah. Travel 
travel to wherever you can find your nearest Radio Shack for an exclusive track. <laughs> but yeah, and uh, apparently, like, they had said that they were saving the top 20 or 30 to be released later on, but they haven't released them yet. Uh, hopefully so. they do soon. I mean, that'd be that'd cool be really to hear cool. different different remixes. I mean, yeah. Um, especially with them doing releasing all the demos uh, for 20 years of Meteora. Yeah, they did some for Hybrid Theory too. Yeah, and yeah. Meteora. Um, yeah, that, that could be really cool. But I don't know. I guess that kind of brings me to how I feel about the track. I feel like the track itself feels like a remix. Yeah. Of a I don't know. Like, this is definitely my least favorite track on the album. It just... I feel like for a while, it just never really goes anywhere. Like, I like yeah. how it starts out saying, like, uh, in the light of a thousand suns, like the... Yeah, um, it, that part ties the album together, but then it doesn't yeah. build on that idea. Yeah, it just kind of repeats that with different different instrumentation and beats in the background for, like, the first three and a half minutes. Yeah. So it's like, it starts out, I'm like, oh yeah, because it, like, feels really, like, anthem-esque, mm-hmm. like a big anthem, uh, and it, yeah, it just kind of doesn't just, really go... It's it ultimately the weakest song on the album, Yeah, it shouldn't have been the single. Yeah, that's why it's like, it feels like a remix to me, because it's like, it just kind of... At one part, a beat starts to build up, and it feels like it might drop, but, but then it just kind of keeps going yeah. until, um, I can't remember exactly what it goes to, but I think it might go to, like, a softer part towards the end. Which would and make then, sense with the track that comes up next. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, overall, I, I mean, I guess, I guess they were feeling it if they released it as the lead single, but I yeah. don't know, I, I feel don't, like that's kind of a weird choice, yeah. Um, but then we get to The Messenger, uh, which is... Chester's best performance on this album, vocally, yeah, and one of Chester's best vocal performances yeah. I've heard. Yeah, and it's the first solely acoustic Linkin Park song in their discography. Wow, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they've had really, they've had songs where it's just Chester, no mic, and um, more low-key, like, ballad-type songs, but yeah. they've all been had at least drums or something in them. Yeah, or, this is just piano, right? Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's guitar. It's oh, it's like, guitar. It's acoustic guitar, That's right. but then, I mean, it does have piano, okay. but there's no, I mean, I would consider that acoustic. Yeah, there's, there's no electric, there's, there's no, no percussive drums. instruments it's, to it or anything. Um, but yeah, it's it's really good ballad. Like you said, a really good vocal yeah. performance, powerful it, it lyrics. It really highlights that he was one of the most talented vocalists ever. Yeah, and at least the album off with, like a positive note, I would say, because mm-hmm. it's kind of about like finding hope. Yeah, it's and... about hopefulness, which is, and then like I, it really moves like to ends the narrative off mm-hmm. very well there. Oh yeah, and uh, on this is <laughs> this is really sad uh, in in the wake of his passing. But on February twenty second, two thousand eleven, at a pre show backstage press conference. He said that he wrote the song for his children, saying that they were growing up and things might get tough, but he would always love them. <laughs> so yeah, that's fucking... Oh my god. Yeah, that's very fucking sad, but... Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is a song that encourages that, like, always yeah. go, on, go on no matter what, so... Yeah. <laughs> I hope his I hope his children... Appre- I mean, I'm sure they really yeah. appreciate the song. I, I'm sure they really appreciate being able to hear their dad's voice so yeah. easily. Yeah, knowing how... How much he affected yeah, fans and, like, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I saw that and I, I didn't write it down, but I was like, I have to say that because that was like really fucking. <laughs> it's close to home reading that. Yeah. Like, fuck. Um, okay, so that concludes the out the track by track. Uh, we mm-hmm. decided not to 
talk about our least favorite tracks on the album, really, because it's just the one that's the catalyst. Yeah, yeah. So best tracks, uh, what what you got? Uh, honestly, Wretches and Kings, Blackout, When They Come For Me, Waiting For The End, they're all really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, no track really stood out as the best. No, okay. And, but just one track stood out as the worst, and even as the worst, it's still a good song. Yeah, yeah. I got, I think Waiting <clears throat> Waiting For The End is definitely my favorite. And then I got When They Come For Me and Wretches and Kings. Um, They're all really good. Yeah. yeah, but like you said, I mean, I like Blackout. I, I like every song on the album, and The Catalyst, even though it's my least favorite. Is, I, I still I still enjoy it. Yeah, it's... In context, at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the one song that I wouldn't listen to by itself yeah. out of the whole album. But um, it's still it's still not a bad song by any means. You know, since this album really doesn't have any bad parts or cringy lyrics or anything, yeah. we figured we'd do a ranking of their albums instead of doing no, the worst, worst I've, moments. I've only listened to the first four, mm-hmm. and obviously the remix and Collision Course, but I didn't rank those. Cause yeah, yeah. It, it felt weird to try to rank... Not joke albums, but like a remix album and an album with Jay Z. Yeah, like an MTV performance with Jay Z. Well, no, I mean, well, it was an MTV collab. Yeah, but they released a whole album. Yeah, I know. I, mean, I know. It's really good. Yeah, but I think it was but, like MTV. It was, yeah, it was like a. I mean, it might have just been called like MTV mashups. It Probably. was something where they would take like. Yeah. I don't know how many they did. The only one I know is the Lincoln Park and Jay Z one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they would take two artists and that were not really similar, I guess, and have them have them remix their songs together. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you probably, I'm sure you've heard songs from their Yeah, I've heard songs albums. from, I've, yeah, I've heard a lot of songs. I didn't listen to the, the albums. Uh, my ranking is, I'm going to go from the one I think is the worst to the one I think is best. So okay. at number four, we have Minutes to Midnight. Okay. Uh, solid album. Uh, I think it's the weakest of the four. Uh, above that, we have A Thousand Suns. Okay. Uh, then Hybrid Theory. And then Meteora. Okay, well, even the one I like the least by them is still good. Uh, one More Light is my least favorite. Um, is it their 2017 album? Yeah, their last mm-hmm. one. It has really good songs on it. There's, I would say the songs are all either really good or not noteworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, there's not any that I say are awful. It's just, you know, yeah. it probably has their most, like, just take it or leave it songs for me. On any of their albums, but there are songs on there that I really, really do like. And then six is The Hunting Party, which this is the only one that I hadn't listened to in its entirety before until recently. I figured I needed to listen to it to rank it, and it, it was really good. Um, hmm. It kind of has like a 90s, I guess, alt metal sound to it, like Rage Against the Machine. It, it's... Like, it's not really new metal, it's rap metal, I would say. Okay. Which, you know, is kind of a difference. But it, it's really good. There's some really heavy parts. Uh, it has uh, a bunch of guest vocalists on it. Like, I think, I want to say Raekwon is on there. Um, Weird. Tom Morello does a solo on one of the songs. I'll have um, to check it out. Dar- Darren McElin, Malikin oh, from, from uh, System uh, of a Down. Yeah. I think there's another guest rapper on there. Um with Pusha T as a guest rapper on one of the songs in One More Light. And that's a, it's one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, and then five, I have A Thousand Sons. Four, I have Living Things. Uh, I remember not really caring much for that album, but listening to it, there's a lot of songs on there that I really, really like. I feel like it kind of takes 
the sound of A Thousand Suns and mixes it with Hybrid Theory and Meteor. Like it has, it has more of an electronic feel, like okay. an industrial, I guess, feel that A Thousand Suns does. But it is like you know brings back the scope yeah. to Hybrid Theory and Meteor levels. Yeah. It's really good. Then three, I have Minutes to Midnight. I just really like it. I mean, I mean it's a good album. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just, I just like A Thousand Suns more. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I thought that might change for me, because I listened to Minutes to Midnight again for the first time in a while, and there for a minute I was like, I might actually like A Thousand Suns better, but I like Minutes to Midnight a little better. Um, it's a really good album. I love Giving Up, and yeah. Bleed It Out, and uh, fucking No More Sorrows, a really yeah pretty, like, different song for them like it it feels like just more straight up metal instead of new metal then two hybrid theory and then one meteora yeah so. hybrid theory is always the one that i thought was my favorite until i like actually went back and re-listened to hybrid theory and i was like no i actually okay. wanted to listen to meteora for a while it's been for a while now that meteora has been my favorite actually like i think as a kid hybrid theory was i don't know it's like they're really neck and neck though like it's, yeah. it's very hard to choose which it one just, is better it's just sometimes it feels like i think i want to listen to hybrid theory but what i what i actually want is meteora because we were so young when they both came out they kind mm. of blend into one album yeah. to me yeah i would say maybe the singles on hybrid theory are yes. better but i like the deeper cuts on meteora uh -huh. better but I mean, I do love the deep cuts on uh, Hybrid Theory, like by myself. Yeah, and, I like, mean they're both they're both perfect. Yeah, albums, but Meteor, like I fucking love Figure Oh Nine Point Oh Nine. Yeah, that's like one of my favorite songs by them. Um, I think that one was remixed on the remix album, though, wasn't it? Was it? No, it's no. on. Colli I'm thinking of Collision Course. It's uh, Points of Authority, Figure Oh Nine, and some Jay Z song. I thought it was Points of Authority and. Um, uh, one step closer. Oh my god, was I'm it? I'm pretty sure it was, yeah, yeah. Oh my lord. But I know on... Yeah, Points of Authority slash 99 Problems slash That's one right, step okay. Closer. Yeah, the only song... Or, the songs from Meteora that were on the our collision course are Lying From You and Faint. Oh, uh, okay. Those are both the two of the singles from the album. They're really good, too. Fucking collision course. That's... I guess if I included that in the ranking, I'd probably put it between Hybrid Theory and Minutes to Midnight. I fucking love Collision Course. Yeah. I, you've watched the live performance of it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, had the, I had that live DVD that I think had the performance on it. Oh, okay. I think it's cool because I'm pretty sure on the album version of the One Step Closer, Points of Authority, and 99 Problems, I think they might start out with One Step Closer... And then go into points of authority, but when they do it live, they flip flop. That. No, I think I think it's the other way around. Yeah, something. I like think they that. started with points of authority, but and I, then go into one step closer. Yeah, but I, I like the live version better than the studio version of yeah. that one. But yeah, I remember on the on the live video of it, fucking. There's one part. I think it's when uh, is it faint where he's like, I can't feel the way I did before. Don't turn your back on me. I, yeah, I believe that's whenever he's doing that part and he starts screaming where he's like, uh, hear me out now. And he's screaming that part and like holds it out for a long time. I remember <laughs> the camera cuts to Jay-Z and he's he's like holding, he's like clutching his pearls. He's like holding his chest and he's looking like, God damn. Yeah, I have, uh, <laughs> speaking of that incredibly long scream, there is, um, 
there was a TikTok challenge for a little while of people trying to do that, and there was only one person that was well, able to I, hold it out as long as he could. I think you're thinking of the long scream and um. Am I thinking of a different long scream? There's a lot give of it up. Give it up. I am thinking of the long scream. There's a lot of long screams. Chester Bennington had so much breath control. I mean, he could. Yeah, he could do that shit fucking live. Like looking, yeah, looking at clips of him doing um that from uh, what's the song we just said? Uh, give it up. Give it up. Yeah, looking at live versions like the live at Milton Keys album yeah, live DVD. That, that was the had. first album that I actually owned that was my own. Okay. Yeah. It was uh, the live at Milton Keys. It came with an album in the DVD. In the DVD. Yeah. And I remember watching that DVD every day. Yeah, but that and then like other, you know, I I had a I think I still have it like their live in Texas performance. Mm-hmm. I think that came out it, it was after Meteora. But yeah, like he would do shit live where you're you'd be like what the fuck like how how do you how do you have the energy to run around stage and yeah do all this shit and still be able to hold notes like that and then go from like screaming to singing and just fucking it's like once in a generation fucking vocalist once once in forever i think yeah um Um, yeah so rating the album does it deserve one last breath yeah yeah for sure for sure uh i think any fan of Linkin Park who didn't give this album a chance when it came out mm-hmm. for whatever reason or only listened to it the one time and decided, ah, maybe not for me, mm-hmm. give it another shot, uh, look back at it now, it's it, it holds up, it's really yeah. good. I think people have came around to it. Uh, on Metacritic, the critical uh, score is 66% based on 10 critic reviews. The user mm-hmm. score is 7.6 based on 506 reviews. I think that's but a going, little low. Yeah, but going around on uh, YouTube and then on Reddit, I was looking at people ranking uh, Linkin Park's discography on the Linkin Park subreddit, and it was crazy. Like, almost every single comment had A Thousand Sons as number one. Like, I was really surprised. Really? Yeah. I was like, I was like, damn. Like, I didn't... Like, I, I figured people had warmed up to it, but... I didn't I, realize that they would like it better than Meteor and Hybrid Theory. Yeah, it, it was really weird, too, because there were some that had Hybrid Theory and Meteor as dead last, and I was like, damn. I was like, I mean... Lincoln Park fans are built different. I guess. I don't I, get it. I was like, I mean... I mean, yeah, it's, it's your opinion, but I was like, shit. Like, even putting Nostalgia aside, those are just fucking amazing albums. Like game-changing albums yeah i guess without without nostalgia you can realize that new metal is cringe but not lincoln park like not their style of new metal i don't think like, i mean yeah yeah it's a little more cringe than like system of a down mm, yeah i would say just because of the rap in it i mean uh, yeah the rap's good i good at what he does yeah i mean I, i'd say probably people might just be like with the lyric wise like oh well that's yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's dark it's edgy yeah. it's a little too on the nose sometimes yeah. just like actually saying hey i want to die yeah like yeah. directly almost yeah but but yeah i mean like you said uh i think those are a little low for a thousand i'd give it like about a, eight eight and a half yeah i would say i was gonna say uh said well i mean i guess not too low since the consensus for user was 7.6 i would yeah. give it probably seven and a half to eight so yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah, it deserves one last breath, and like you said, if you're a fan of Lincoln Park and didn't connect with it and haven't touched it since it came out, I would say go back and listen to it and definitely try to listen to it all in one setting and listen to it multiple yeah. times, and it'll probably click with you. All right, well, so. thank you for listening. We'll see you next week yeah. with whatever. Yeah, see you next week.